PM board bombs. Welcome back to EM Board Bombs. This is Iltifat Hussein, co-founder of EM Board Bombs podcast. I'd like to remind Dr. Briggs that. Unfortunately, Dr. Briggs will not be joining us today. This is going to be a solo pod done by me. Dr. Briggs is alive and well. I know in our last podcast episode, we talked about how he was going to Zion National Park in Bryce Canyon. He likes to say that he went backpacking and camping, but it was a little bit of glamping. Let's be honest. I saw a lot of his pictures. He and his dad, they rented one of those hashtag van life campers and took that out to some of these parks and had a absolute blast. But they met other bloggers on the trip. And Dr. Briggs told me after he got back that he was inspired. So he currently is shopping around RV parks, looking for a van slash camper to take out and is going to be starting a vlog. It's going to be called EM Rapid Bombs Camper Vlog. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. Uh, Dr. Riggs will be with us soon. He's actually at the ACOEP, Scientific Assembly, dropping some really good conference topics there. Um, He's doing a couple of presentations out there. Hey, let's get into this topic. A thin, previously healthy 37-year-old female presents to the ED with a chief complaint of headache. She states it started a few days ago and it's gradually gotten much worse. She endorses some general fatigue as well. She denies fever, neck pain, or stiffness. She states the only thing out of the ordinary she's done in the past two weeks is starting to do the quote, everything, end quote, shower. Without prompting, she shows you her TikTok channel and her lineup, which includes a deep conditioning hair mask and a detoxifying scalp scrub. You proceed to ask more questions about her headache, but are interrupted by the nurse who asks about the patient's cellulose treatment after the shower. You skip to the neuro exam and find the patient has papilledema and right arm weakness compared to the left. Which of the following is true regarding this diagnosis? A. Oral contraceptives are a major risk factor. B. Males are at a higher risk than females. C. Infection is the most common precipitating cause. Or D. Young adults usually present with more severe symptoms. The correct answer here is, and right before we talk about that, you know, we've got a plug, emrapidbombs.supercast.com. You'll see it in our show notes. Uh, they're three to five minute long episodes. We've got more than 350 of those episodes. We drop multiple episodes a week. Check out our premium podcast. Appreciate all the support we've gotten all around the world. We've got folks from Indonesia to Europe to Japan, countries all over now that are using the emrapidbombs.supercast podcast that we launched almost two years ago now. So it gotten a lot of great traction. Check it out. See if you like it. Support the pod. Back to our episode. The correct answer here is A. Oral contraceptives are a major risk factor. 
So what we're talking about here is a terrifying diagnosis in the ED setting, which is a cerebral vein and dural sinus thrombosis. It's an uncommon stroke type, but it's very difficult to diagnose. Only with the recent availability of MRI have we been able to diagnose this condition more. The average incidence is less than 1.5 per 100,000 with a female to male ratio of 3 to 1. That's why that answer choice B, which was males are at higher risk than females, was not correct. Again, female to male ratio of 3 to 1. So some of the pathophysiology behind this, again, remember we're a blue collar podcast. This is literally going to be two lines of pathophys here. We're not going to get into a paragraph or two. So the pathophys, it's not completely understood well, but think about it is like having a DVT in your brain. There's, you know, this thrombosis of the cerebral veins or dural sinus that blocks drainage to the brain and it causes a stroke. This could be occlusion of the dural sinus resulting in poor CSF absorption and then again increasing that intracranial pressure, which is why one of the exam findings we gave was papilledema. We're not going to get into more of the complex pathophys though. Here's something really important to understand are the key risk factors, right? Because that's where you as the ED clinician are going to need to know which patients to look out for. So let's get into some of the key risk factors. So patients with cerebral vein thrombosis are much younger than their average stroke counterparts. So we're thinking around age, you know, 30s here versus the typical stroke patients that are greater than 60. Other key risk factors are going to be any prothrombotic conditions. So, you know, genetic or acquired, that's a risk factor. It's virtually the same factors as other you know, venous thromboembolisms. So again, when you're thinking about you know, typical DVTs, you're thinking about some of the usual stuff, right? So malignancy, infection, pregnancy, and less than six weeks postpartum, oral contraceptives, or hormone replacement therapy. You know, just generally, you know, both thrombotic conditions. Females are going to be much higher risk. We gave you that ratio earlier, 3 to 1. This is likely due to increased risk from pregnancy, postpartum, and then again, oral contraceptive use. Oral contraceptives, malignancy, pregnancy, postpartum, it's the number one most common risk factor overall. It is imperative you have this on your differential in your postpartum headache patients. In more than 85% of patients with cerebral venous thrombosis, at least one of these risk factors above is present. And again, for cerebral venous thrombosis, I don't like saying the whole thing, so we're just going to refer to it as CVT from here on out. Infections are rarely the cause of CVTs, less than 10% of the cases. Again, all those other things that we talked about, more than 85% of the time, those are associated with CVT. Infections, less than 10% of the time. So what is this presentation like? I wish I could say it was straightforward. I wish I could say, hey, it's like subarachnoid hemorrhages that has a very clear prodrome, very clear onset, very clear type of severity of headache. It's not like that with CVTs. It's a difficult diagnosis to suspect. Oftentimes, these patients have had multiple ER visits. That's how this is being diagnosed. You have to dig deeper on some of those patients that have had multiple ER visits. That's not the norm for them. It's not the normal type of migraine headache for them. The most common presenting symptom, it's a headache. Yes, obviously. 90% of the patients have a headache. But unlike things, again, like subarachnoid hemorrhages or other types of you know, migraines, it's not a very specific type of presentation. Look for the following along with the headache in these patients. Papilledema, visual problems, vomiting, 
something should be off here. Again, it's not that typical tension headache. Less commonly, the patient might be having seizures, focal deficits, encephalopathy. Here's a random pearl. Seizures, although uncommon overall in initial presentations, are more frequent in CVT than any other cerebrovascular disorder. I'm going to repeat that. Seizures, although uncommon overall in initial presentation, are more common in CVT than any other cerebrovascular disorder. That's crazy. As for focal deficits, motor weakness is the most observed deficit. Cerebral edema, venous infarction, and hemorrhagic infarction are associated with more severe conditions, obviously. Younger patients are more likely to present with acute, less severe symptoms like headache, vomiting, versus older adults who can have a more insidious onset and just in general, more abstract symptoms like altered mental status. Each isolated thrombosis of a particular sinus may present with different symptoms. We're actually not going to talk about that. Again, this is a blue-collar podcast. No need to memorize that stuff. You're going to work them all up the same. So when are you going to be thinking of a CVT? At the end of the day, it's anyone with some of those key risk factors that we talked about, a new onset headache, or a headache that's different than the usual pattern. Signs and symptoms of intracranial hypertension, seizures, encephalopathy, just in general, neuroscience and symptoms that aren't fitting a classical stroke pattern. Lastly, it is critical to think of this diagnosis in patients who have had multiple presentations to healthcare settings with a headache in a short period of time. So when it comes to diagnosing, no lab study can rule in or out CVT, like a dimer is not going to be helpful here. Lumbar punctures, they're not going to rule out CVT either. They're typically safe to perform, and they're actually important in ruling out things like meningitis and cephalopathy. again, if you're thinking of those things. And LP findings, just in general, just understand they're going to be nonspecific. But it is okay to do an LP on patients with CVT. 30 to 40% of the time, these patients can present with intracranial hemorrhage. These hemorrhages are usually focal. CT imaging is not effective in ruling out CVT. CT imaging is normal in up to 30% of these patients, and the findings can oftentimes be nonspecific. Now, a CT scan is still helpful. You know, it can sometimes show you that classic signs of CVT. We're not going to get into those classical signs, by the way. Uh, there are several, and they're listed in our handout. More commonly, there are going to be indirect signs on CT that are associated with CVT, like intracranial hemorrhage, hemorrhagic infarcts, and hypodense lesions caused by edema or venous infarction. Your MRI with MRV is going to be the most reliable method of diagnosing a thrombus. So again, board test question, it's going to be MRI with MRV. An occluded dural sinus or vein is the most sensitive finding. So not all shops have MRI available 24-7 or MRI available at all. If you don't have that, during the hours the patient presents, then CT venography might improve accuracy upwards to 90 to 100%. CT venography has been declared at least equivalent to MRI, MRV, and it's faster and more readily available. So again, do not hesitate to use that. Conventional angiography is reserved for cases where CT venography or MR venography are inconclusive. That doesn't mean that your simple non-con CT scan is not helpful. Before you do your MRI with MRV, you need to be getting a screening CT scan 
if your suspicion is high enough. Again, that's to rule out other pathologies such as blood, because again, you wouldn't necessarily see that on the MRI, MRV if you jumped straight to that. Okay, let's get into the management. The key management pearls revolve around treating the underlying cause and initiating antithrombotic therapy. <laughs> These patients are obviously going to be admitted to the hospital. This isn't a patient that you're going to be starting a DOAC on and uh, giving them a starter pack of Xarelto and sending them on their way. And that's not how it works. These patients are going to require really close monitoring, oftentimes in the ICU setting, uh, for close repeat neurological assessments to make sure they're not getting worse. IV heparin drip or subcutaneous low molecular weight heparin, they're both appropriate to start with. You're starting this in conjunction with your consultants, right? Your ICU docs, your neurology docs. You're going to be starting it in conjunction with them. You shouldn't just be starting this on your own. Importantly, the presence of a hemorrhagic venous infarction, intracranial hemorrhage, or isolated subarachnoid hemorrhage, they're, they're just not contraindications for starting anticoagulation. No patients who have received heparin in studies with CVT were you know, developed further bleeding. So it's actually okay to use anticoagulation, but again, you're using a conjunction with your consultants and admitting team. The consensus for multiple randomized trials is that low molecular weight heparin is more effective and safer than IV unfractionated heparin. For patients who develop further neurological symptoms despite heparin therapy, endovascular thrombosis or thrombectomy are traditionally discussed, but studies lack sufficient evidence. And honestly, this is just out of the scope of our review. Other issues that you should be thinking about is supportive care when it comes to seizure prophylaxis. Something to think about, you should be using Valproate or Keppra. CVT you know, carries a fair bit of morbidity mortality associated with it. But in most cases, patients recover well from it. Reoccurrence risk is around 2 to 4%. This is a terrifying diagnosis. It really is because a lot of times these patients present multiple times to the ED setting. And you need to be ordering the right type of test, which is the MRI, MRV, to really make that diagnosis. So really think about this patient as the one who's had multiple ER visits don't have, doesn't have a history of migraine, but has got multiple migraine cocktails in a short amount of time. CT imaging, CTAs, they've all been negative thus far. You really should be considering if they have some of those other key risk factors that we talked about, you really should be considering an MRI, MRV to further evaluate. Okay, that wraps it up for us. Hopefully, Dr. Briggs will be joining us uh, next time. Again, I'm hoping that uh, this new vlogging and van life that he's gotten into, he gets over that. I'm really hoping it's a phase. Um, I know he's in Arizona right now at this conference, but he's looking at campers even out there. We'll see. Um, and if not, you know, I'll be back as always supporting the pod. I am a co-founder after all, despite what Dr. Briggs likes to think. <laughs> no, but anyways. It's been fun, and we'll see you guys next time. Remember to support us on emrapidbombs.supercast.com. And Dr. Briggs actually has a really cool Instagram thing he's doing once a week. He's dropping interesting cases on Instagram. So follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. We've got 
I think over 10,000 followers on Twitter alone and the Instagram page is blowing up on Facebook as well. Appreciate everyone's support out there. Drop us an iTunes Apple review if you can. We've had some recent hilarious ones. Drop us a really funny one and we'll actually mention it in our podcast episode like we did a couple weeks ago. Thanks everyone. Until next time.